Three times a year, the Israelites would make their way from their homes to the great city of Jerusalem for the festivals, the great feasts. In the spring, the feast of Passover took place, and they would celebrate God's salvation in the Exodus. In the summer, God's people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Pentecost to renew their commitment to God. And in the fall, they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, to celebrate God's provision of the harvest. And they had, as it were, 15 songs for the road that they would sing as they made their way to the great city, up to Jerusalem. And Psalm 121 was one of the songs of ascents that they would sing. It's a song of assurance, of God's saving protection on your journey. So this morning, God's Word gives us a travel advisory, as it were. Who is He? What says He? What does He for all of you who believe in Jesus Christ? Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us. Spirit of the living God, the unfolding of your word gives light, it brings consolation, it works deep transformation, and we pray that you would come and that you would open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might see the hope to which we have been called. What are the riches of our glorious inheritance and your glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing power toward us as we believe on Jesus Christ and this we ask in Jesus name amen a few remarks to orient us to the passage first of all I want you to notice the change in voice that takes place in the text. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, the language is I, my. It's first person. The pilgrim talks in terms of I and my. But in verses 3 through 8, there's a pivot. The language changes. It's second person you, your. And so as we listen to Psalm 121, 
It's as though we're overhearing two voices, two people walking together on this journey. In verses 1 and 2, there's this voice of a young, inexperienced pilgrim. But in verses 3 through 8, there's the voice of a mature, steadfast, experienced pilgrim. And along the way, the psalm is filled with images, images that point beyond our physical lives to our spiritual lives. And it's a psalm that is filled, chock full, with promises of spiritual blessings for all who belong to Jesus Christ. It's a psalm that tells a pilgrim's story. And Psalm 121 bids to become your story. So let me invite you to enter into the song, to learn the words, to sing the song, to take these words of hope to heart. Psalm 121, here's the message I'd like to set forth from this text this morning. Because you journey in a broken world, you have good reasons to be concerned. But because you journey in Jesus Christ, you have better reasons, solid reasons, much better reasons to have comfort. Let's take a look at these in turn. First of all, listen with me to the voice of a young pilgrim in verses 1 and 2 who expresses these good reasons for concern. I lift up my eyes to the hills. The pilgrim contemplates the dangers of the journey to Jerusalem. Two kinds of dangers. Something dangerous lives inside of me. It's the problem of sin. What if I fall down on the path? But also, there's something dangerous that comes at me. It's the problem of suffering. What if I fall prey to my foes? And with so many dangers inside of me and all around me and pressing against me, what if my strength fails me and I fall short of the goal? Can you see the movie playing in the theater of the pilgrim's mind? Can you relate? You're looking into the future. I could drift. I could stray from the path. I could slip and fall. I could suffer hardship. I could lose my spouse. I could get sick and die. I could be ambushed by thieves just around the corner. What do you do in the face of so many dangers? In the face of dire need, you ask a question. Where does my help come from? Verse 1. That's the question the pilgrim asks. My help. It's a simple but profound word. Where do I find consolation in the face of my sufferings? And how do I find transformation in the midst of my personal struggles? You remember Alice in Wonderland. She was always disoriented, wasn't she? Because she was always the wrong size. Either too big or too small. 
continually disoriented. And each of us has the same problem. We are the wrong size. We imagine ourselves to be independent and self-sufficient. But this young pilgrim is clear thinking, sober assessment, aware of creaturely limitations. I need help from outside of myself. What about you? Where does your help come from? You might conclude, my help comes from the hills. In the pilgrim's day, Palestine was overrun with pagan worship. False worship that was practiced up on the hilltops. Pastor Eugene Peterson paints the picture well. Shrines were built. Pilgrims were lured. Priests would boast. If you worship these gods, then they will protect you from the perils of the road. Do you fear the dangers of the day? Then go to the sun priest for protection. Do you fear the dangers of the night? Then go to the moon priestess and buy a good luck charm. Do you fear that you might fall down and get robbed? Then go to the shrine and learn a magic formula. But all of this help up in the hills was false advertising. But it was an enticing voice. And the same is true in our day, isn't it? West Michigan is overrun with false worship but in a more sophisticated sort of way. We think that our deepest problem is intellectual. And so we seek security in acquiring knowledge. We think that our deepest problem is physical. And so we seek security in preserving health. We think that our deepest problem is financial. And so we seek security in amassing wealth. All good things until a good thing is elevated to an ultimate thing. And then a good gift becomes a bad God, an idol that we trust for salvation. The biblical diagnosis is a worship disorder. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship the creature rather than the Creator. But this pilgrim has come to a different conclusion. Did you notice verse 2? No, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's the resolution of the repentant Israelite. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23, the prophet says, We will come to you, O Lord, for you are the Lord our God. Surely the commotion of on the hills is a deception. Surely, in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. What about you? When you wake up in the world and you walk into your day with all of its trouble and struggle, where do you turn for help? You may be tempted to turn inward to look within yourself to find the resources that you need for the journey. Or you may be tempted to look outward to trust something else in creation to help you find your way. 
But this little bitty piece of Scripture aims to re-script your response. It aims to turn you upward to the Lord. That's the voice of the young pilgrim. But now let's listen to the voice of a seasoned pilgrim in verses 3 through 8. We've learned in verses 1 and 2, yes, we have good reason for concern. But in verses 3 through 8, we learn that we have better reasons, solid reasons, trustworthy reasons for comfort. Now, who is this walking and talking pilgrim? Well, in one sense, it's any seasoned and fate-filled pilgrim who could sing these words. But as we trace this pilgrim theme to and through the New Testament, we find these words most wonderfully on the lips of Jesus. This was His song. Jesus was very familiar with this song as he made his own pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And he is the one who has gone before you. He is your pathfinder. He is your trailblazer. The writer to the Hebrews calls him the author and the finisher of your faith. He goes before you. How can this be? The answer is found in what the Bible calls the eternal covenant. Before time began, God the Father and God the Son pledged their faithfulness to one another in the covenant of redemption. And God the Father purposed to save a people for Himself by sending His Son into the world. And God the Son purposed to fulfill the Father's plan by coming into the world to represent his chosen people. And if the Son would live the life we should have lived, and if the Son would die the death that we should die, then the Father would raise not only the Son, but also those for whom the Son bled and died. This is the Gospel. The Son has kept His promise to the Father. And the Father has kept His promise to the Son. On Friday, Jesus died for our sins, but on Sunday, God raised Him from the dead. I love to remind you that one small step for Jesus is one giant leap for all of His people whom He represents. That's you in Christ. This risen Lord Jesus is your faithful companion who now walks beside you and speaks to you these words of hope. Listen to the heart of what Jesus says. Verse 5, at the very center of the psalm, the Lord is your keeper. Note the name. Five times it appears in the psalm, the Lord. He's not the God who winds up the world and watches from a distance. No, He's the God who binds Himself to His people in an everlasting covenant. 
He's the God who looks upon you with a special affection in Christ. He says to you in Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And note the verb. Keep. Guard. Protect. Six times. To protect. To pay careful attention to. To exercise great care over. This experienced pilgrim wants us, inexperienced pilgrims, to go deeper. Not only is he the creator of heaven and earth, but he's also the redeemer of his chosen people. Not only is he powerful, he's also personal. Not only is he your maker, he's also your keeper. And more specifically, Jesus speaks three sets of words to three sets of fears. First of all, there's that danger within you. Will sin living in me rule over me? Will I fall down on the path? Jesus answers in the text, the Lord is your keeper. He will not let your foot be moved. He will firmly uphold you. He will hold you fast. On the one hand, feet in Scripture points to this spiritual reality of walking with God like a nimble-footed deer that negotiates the rough terrain. But elsewhere in Scripture, Falling into sin is depicted by feet that slip, that stumble, that get tripped up and trapped and entangled in a net. What is exactly meant by, He will not let your foot be moved? Psalm 37 verse 24 is a helpful text that illumines the meaning. If the Lord delights in a man's way, He makes His steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Sin shall have no dominion over you. He will not let your foot be moved. And how exactly can this be? Well, the text tells us, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The gods of the ancient Near East, they took naps. You remember the story of Elijah doing battle with the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. And you remember the followers of Baal had to, had to, to wake up their gods. But the true and living God revealed in this text, the true and living God of Israel is your keeper, your watchman, your security guard. He never, ever dozes off to sleep. His gaze is always fixed upon you, not with an idle observation, but with an active, committed preservation. 
So, what if you get tripped up? The Lord is your keeper. He's wide awake to uphold you. There's a second fear that the text addresses, that Jesus anticipates. It's the fear of dangers, not only in you, but all around you and pressing in against you. Will troubles come at me and destroy me? Will I fall prey to my foes? The text answers, the Lord is your keeper. He is your shade on your right hand. He will fully protect you. Verses 5 and 6. It's the image of the soldier doing battle in the ancient Near East. In that particular day, the sun could seem like a piercing arrow. The moon could seem like a thrusting sword. Again, Pastor Eugene Peterson, very helpful in this respect. A person traveling on foot under continuous exposure to hot sun could become physically ill. Sunstroke. A person traveling on foot under continuous pressure of fear and fatigue could become emotionally ill. Moonstroke. And these physical hazards point beyond themselves to spiritual hazards. What are the spiritual dangers that come to you by day? Painful loss. Overflowing tears. Debilitating despair. And what are those spiritual dragons that come to you by night? The overwhelming fear. The crushing guilt. The paralyzing regret. What does a soldier need to protect her? To protect him from a fatal blow? A shade, a shield, one who absorbs and deflects the deadly arrows. Who is the Lord? Verse 5, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. He's like a shield who, who stands between you and harm's way. I remember about 30 years ago, the elder George Bush was president and coming to Orlando, Florida, where Cindy and I lived in that particular day. And he had, he had a gathering downtown Saturday morning. And we looked at each other and we said, why don't we go? And so we did. And we made our way through the metal detectors and noticed all of the security, secret service up on top of the rooftops. And we waited outside at a curb waiting for the president to come out and he came out of his meeting and he looked this way but then he decided to go this way and that's the way we were and he's making his way down greeting people and I can't I can't decide do I want to take a picture or do I want to shake his hand and I decided I'll put the camera away let's shake his hand and I remember as he's making his way through, he is covered. He is surrounded. He is secure. He is covered by these Secret Service agents. I've never seen anything like it. This is your life in Christ. This is what it's like to live in Jesus. He stands beside you. 
He stands before you. He stands behind you. He stands above you. He stands under you. He's all around you. And this is what He says to you. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So if the troubles assail, the Lord is your keeper. He is your shade to protect you. But there's, there's a third and final fear. Verses 7 through 8, the pilgrim contemplates with so many dangers inside of me and all around and pressing against me. What if my strength fails me and I fall short of the goal? The Lord answers. Jesus says to you, the Lord is your keeper. He will safely escort you to the finish. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Literally, He will keep your soul. And it's your soul that needs to get from point A to point Z. From slavery in the land of Egypt to freedom in the land of the living. The challenge all around us the dominant worldview is this. All there is and all that matters are your material goods. So protect your body with exercise. Protect your home with the alarm. Protect your identity with LifeLock. And the Bible recognizes the importance and the worth of material goods, but the Bible places a premium on the wealth of spiritual goods. You are more than a body. You are an embodied soul, a living soul. What good is it, Jesus says, for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Not much good. What really needs safekeeping is your soul. And safekeeping your soul is what Jesus is all about. Friday evening I was mowing my grass. This friend that I I'm just getting to know, I guess I should call him an acquaintance, walked by the house and I stopped the mower and I engaged him in conversation. How's it going? Well, it's not going really well. Oh, tell me about that. And he begins to talk about the physical difficulties, his health concerns. And uh, it was such a privilege to, to be invited into his world, to to, to have an opportunity to get to know this particular part of his story. And we, we talked about his hardship and his concerns. And, and, uh, and right there in my backyard, I said, could I, could I pray for you? I've had two conversations with him. This was the second. I just sensed an opportunity to, to bring this to the Lord. He said, please do. And so, of course, I prayed for his physical condition. Lord, give him excellent care. Bring wise care to bear on his physical struggle. But, Lord, my friend is more than a body. He's a living soul. Would you give him rest of soul? We come to you because we are weary and heavy laden. And this is exactly the sort of safekeeping 
that Jesus bids to bring to your soul. Verse 8, the Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in. He will keep you from the beginning. He will keep you through the middle. And He will keep you to the end of your journey. And not only will He keep you here and now, verse 8 concludes, He will keep you from this time forth and forevermore. So what if your strength fails you? Amid all of the dangers inside and coming against you from the outside. The Lord is your keeper. He is your guard to escort you. Now maybe you're here exploring Christianity. Or maybe you're a seasoned Christian and you've always struggled with this particular sentiment, this particular truth asserted here. Wait a minute. I know lots of Christians who suffer lots of trouble. Lots of trouble. With a heavy heart, the elders met on Tuesday night and at the beginning of our meeting we we, we, we listed and prayed for a long list of brothers and sisters in our midst who are experiencing real hardship. And you might be tempted to conclude either Christians who experience trouble are not really Christians or these promises are not really true. But there's a third way. Let's not fall into the ditch on the left and let's not fall into the ditch on the right. There's a third way. God's promise to His people is not that we shall never suffer trouble, but that the trouble we suffer will never have evil power over us. That's the meaning of the text. One commentator puts it this way, all the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in all the world harm us unless it gets inside of us. And for the person in Christ, it never will. It will never have the power to sink and destroy us. Nor will it have the power to separate us from the love of God. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the things present or the things future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the promise. He will keep you from the evil power of evil. I must tell you, I was a little encouraged to learn that there are not too many venomous snakes in West Michigan. Because I'm afraid of snakes. And down in North Carolina, from where I'm from, they're all over the place, especially this time of the year. Are you afraid of snakes? What if you knew that the poisonous snake in front of you had been defanged? Yes, the snake could bite you, but no longer does the snake have the ability to poison you. 
It no longer has that power over you. That's the promise of the text. The Bible does not ignore the harsh facts of life. No, the Bible faces the facts of life and makes better sense of the facts of life. And as a Christian, you are not exempt from trouble, but you are preserved from the evil in the trouble, from start to finish, from your going out to your coming in, both now and forevermore. You are safe in Christ. And I'll conclude this way. The promise of Psalm 121 looks backward to the blessing of Aaron, the high priest of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. Keep you. Keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. You see how the psalm looks backward. But the psalm also looks forward to the blessing of Jesus, our greater high priest. Because in his death, Jesus faced every evil for you and me. In his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated, depoisoned, defanged, every evil against us. And this Jesus, the experienced pilgrim who sings these blessings over us, says, because I have stood firm for you, the Lord will not let your foot be moved. Because I have faced the foe for you, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Because I have trailblazed the path from hell to heaven for you, The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your soul. This morning, we not only have the opportunity to hear God's Word proclaimed audibly, but also visibly at the table. And at this point, I'd like to invite the elders to come forward as we serve the Lord's Supper. What we do this morning is at the command of our Lord Jesus Christ And so I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ proclaims the gospel. I have lived for you. I have given myself for you. I will keep you. And it's a family meal to be celebrated and enjoyed by all of those of you who profess faith in Jesus Christ and have been admitted into some branch of Christ's church that preaches this gospel. If you know yourself not to be a Christian, you're exploring Christianity perhaps. Good for you. Good for you. Continue to explore and ask your questions. We want to have that conversation. But because you have not professed faith in Christ and not been admitted into some branch of His church, we respectfully ask that you let the elements pass. But those of you who profess faith in Jesus and have been admitted into some branch of His church that preaches this gospel, and you're living a repentant life, you want Jesus, you love Him, and you're following Him, come to the table and be fed by Christ, a means of grace that lifts us up by the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus Christ, and on Him we feed by faith. Let me lead us in prayer. Spirit of the living God, we pray that you would come now and work through the supper to strengthen our faith as this means of grace that, that not only reminds us of the death of Jesus for His people, but, but also points us and lifts us up to Him so that spiritually we might feed upon the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Would you meet us here at the table? Would you come and strengthen us, we pray? And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. As the supper is served, as the bread is served, let's, uh, let's continue to worship by singing together our next hymn together.
Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. On the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, and after he had been given, after he had given thanks, as has been done in his name, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you.
Jesus says to you, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Our Father, we thank you for your covenant keeping and demonstrating for us how much you love us in Jesus by sending your beloved Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the faithful one. You keep us. You come after us. You protect us. You guard us from all harm's way. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that the word proclaimed audibly and visibly in the sacrament, we thank you that you give us power and consolation. You work to strengthen and change us as we feed upon our Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Thank you. Receive our gratitude, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand with me as we conclude our worship with a benevolent offering But also as we sing together our closing song, He Will Hold Us Fast. Let's sing together.
Is that not the best news you have heard? The Lord is your keeper. Receive the last good word. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus, to whom belongs glory forever and ever. Amen.